Hello and welcome. This is On Mike with Jordan Rich. And today we have a terrific guest, James Barron. He's a journalist, an attorney, and a founding advisory board member of the New England Center for Investigative Reporting. He was a creator of the award-winning International Boston Initiative and Atlantic Rim Network. He's taught at MIT, has led study groups at Harvard, and has lectured at universities in Paris and Tokyo. Today, we're focusing on his new book, The Greek Connection, The Life of Elias Dimitrikopoulos and the Untold Story of Watergate. You're about to hear about one of the most fascinating figures in the 20th century political history who has been strangely overlooked, but his life story reads like an epic international adventure. So my first observation for Jim is, wow, what a story as we go on, Mike. Absolutely. Remarkable. I mean, the book is basically a nonfiction political thriller involving international intrigue, dark money, foreign interference in elections, and heroism in the face of power. Uh, and it doesn't involve Donald Trump. <laughs> well, it all starts uh, early on and during the war years, the big war, World War II, and why don't you start with a little overview as to Elias's life in Greece at that time? Basically, in, in 1941, as a precocious you know, 12-year-old uh, in occupied Athens, Elias became a resistance fighter. He was captured by the Nazis, tortured, uh, and imprisoned. He was sentenced to death, and his, his life was miraculously spared by moving him to a horrible mental hospital for the last year of World War II, years of World War II. He survived, and then during the Greek Civil War was shot while trying to save relatives who'd been kidnapped by the communists. Yeah, it's incredible how so many young people, really young people, stepped it up and because they had to to survive back then. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about what you were doing at the age of 12 and 13, mm -hmm. uh, and he, because his father had been a guide at the Acropolis, uh, he had spent some time in the United States and spoke English, uh, Elias was taught English at an early age when the second language for most Greeks and the elites was, was French. Uh, and Elias ends up doing uh, interpretation for British, uh, Australian, New Zealand soldiers that were caught behind the lines escaping uh, when the Germans came in uh, and was doing communications for his cell uh, with the resistance forces in Cairo as a, as a young teenager. Which makes sense that uh, he ends up being a journalist and a writer because his knack for language was evident at an early age. When he was recovering from near-fatal tuberculosis, uh, incubated during incarceration time, he became interested in the career uh, you know, of you know, George Polk. And if you remember, George Polk was the fearless reporter who was unsparing uh, in his criticism of all sides during that time, covering that, and was assassinated. Uh, and Elias, far from being dissuaded, was fascinated and saw Polk as a model, uh, as someone who was fiercely independent, would go after all sides if he had the facts. He then became a fiercely independent, celebrated, enigmatic, scoop-hungry journalist covering primarily American affairs in Greece in the 1950s. And he gained access to powerful figures inside and outside of both governments, and he attracted a lot of enemies by exposing truths others wanted hidden. It does read like a spy novel at times because you've got the CIA, you've got other intelligence services snooping around, uh, trying to discredit him. It's really a, a, an incredible story of survival on his part. Oh, ab absolutely. I mean, the CIA and FBI relentlessly spied on him and harassed him and tried to destroy his reputation. Uh, and in fact, early on, uh, when he was married 
1951 to an American uh, woman, the FBI was not only monitoring his uh, civil marriage uh, in New York City Hall, but uh, they even had somebody staked out at his hotel room uh, for his wedding night. <laughs> Having a spy in the hotel room during your wedding night, that could be embarrassing or maybe thrilling. Maybe if you had really pulled off a miracle, uh, you could be the star of the century. One of the things that's important to mention here is is the Greek connection, which is the title of the book. And the reason he is a, a key figure and is so much paid attention to is because Greece is an important strategic landmark for the United States, for the Soviets, for all kinds of people. Talk a little bit about Greek politics, because it plays a big part in his early days. In, in terms of the interesting part with the 1968, I mean, Greece was a important part of the whole uh, Western alliance uh, it was the bulwark uh, against communism. It was the listening post for communist countries uh, during the early part of the Cold War. Uh, it was the area. It was the country in which the, there was the early incursion, the concern of the early incursion uh, of the Russians at the beginning of the Cold War, and with the development of the Truman Doctrine uh, to provide the aid after the Second World War uh, to be this uh, force against the feared communist menace uh, mm. after the Second World War. I thought it was really interesting, Jim, as you recounted his experiences with American generals and military brass. Basically, was cover, his, his beat was covering the American presence, which was dramatic in the early 1950s. Uh, and what happened was, uh, as he was closed out by some in the embassy, making him persona non grata, he intensified some of his relationship with those in the military who trusted him more, and he had top clearance from the Greek military so that he developed, uh, at times when he was blocked from certain civilian sources, he developed very good relationships with certain members of the American military, uh, those in charge of the Sixth Fleet and others, and one in particular, uh, Admiral Arleigh Burke, uh, became a close friend over the years, uh, and the Burke story played out uh, even into the, the, the Greek connection aspect and the problems with the 1968 election. Which we will get to by all means. The book lays out the connection to Watergate. But I was just thinking about sources and contacts and how masterful this gentleman was on, a, on the world stage of connecting with people in different countries and different governments. He really had it down to a science, it, it appears. He really did. It, it, uh, it was remarkable. I mean, he compartmentalized his life. And part of this is what he learned as a uh, is a young boy in the resistance where if, compart if you didn't compartmentalize and you knew information, you might just divulge the information to somebody else uh, in an untimely way and risk their lives or your lives. Uh, and so he fiercely kept the different parts of his life discreet. And people trusted that he could keep secrets. Uh, he kept secrets from friends who were on the right, friends who were on the left, friends who were on the middle. Uh, and in fact, one of the problems I had in writing the book uh, is that he didn't want to divulge sources to me for information that I was getting uh, or information he was telling me because he promised confidentiality and he was going to take the fact that he was not going to divulge their names to the to his grave. When did you actually get a chance to speak with him? I know uh, he passed away a few years ago. T tell us about your connection to him. Well, if, if you'd like, I can uh, share with you uh, the, the backstory to the book. Sure. Uh, as to how I even came to write the book, uh, which is this fascinating series of serendipities. The making of the Greek connection 
really began in a suburban Boston emergency room in 2007. I'd been rushed there by ambulance, and doctors and nurses were struggling to control my symptoms. I was sure this was my end. To quell my fear, I sought a place of calm, a sensual oasis far from the commotion about me. Uh, so I pictured myself on an idyllic summer morning in 1966 at a small taverna on the island of Mykonos, eating succulent figs, freshly baked bread and honey, listening to the bells of donkeys ambling down the hillside, and feeling the warmth of the glorious Greek sun on my back. ER stabilized me and discharged me after discovering it was just a terrible reaction to some medication. But for months afterwards, I tried to understand why, at that perilous time, my mind took me there, of all the places I'd ever been, and I'd traveled all over the world. Uh, I'd fallen in love with Greece when I spent much of that summer there, uh, lived with a local family, and met people who introduced me to the complexities of Greek politics. I was fascinated by stories about the mysterious Tom Pappas, the Greek-American tycoon from Boston, who was later described as the bagman for an illegal transfer of foreign funds in the 1968 Nixon campaign, and identified on the Watergate tapes as the infamous Greek-bearing gifts. When I wasn't working, I toured at writing a novel set in Greece and embarked on hours of background research. My brother, a successful writer-producer in Hollywood and with the BBC, encouraged me to learn plot development by reading mysteries set in foreign locations. And I did. And I even tracked down a girlfriend from that time who's now a psychotherapist in Geneva. She was game to help me fictionalize our experiences, including stories I learned about Pappas, for whom her father had worked at the time. But it didn't take me long to figure out that I'm much more comfortable writing nonfiction. So I set about preparing a serious article on Pappas in the 1968 election. Serendipitously, in mid-2009, at a dinner following a fundraiser for the New England Center for Investigative Reporting, of which I was a founding board member, I told our guest speaker, legendary investigative reporter Cy Hirsch, about my project. He said, don't spend your time doing Pappas. He recommended instead I focus on Greek journalist Elias Demokotropoulos, the person who had tried unsuccessfully to expose the Pappas money laundering plot. I flew to Washington in, later in, uh, 19, in 2009 and met Elias and quickly realized that this Watergate-related bombshell was just a small part of his larger, even more compelling life story. So there it began. I, I love. Thank you for reading that because it's it's fascinating. Uh, I love the idea that it came to you in a in a meditative state, uh, but uh, that's where great creativity often stems from. Now you mentioned. <laughs> you mentioned Tom Pappas. I was going to get to him. He is a major player when we get to the uh, subtitle, The Untold Story of Watergate. I had not heard of him before this and learned a lot. He was a Boston-based fellow, obviously Greek and obviously well-connected. And what was his role in the uh, in the junta days in Greece when Greece was under dictatorship? Well, well Tom Pappas was a remarkable person. Uh, I mean, to some, he was a from born in Greece but grew up in Boston. He immigrated to Boston with his parents uh, in 1903 and lived in an apartment in Somerville uh, and worked in his father's grocery store uh, in then what was the, the gritty North End. He became involved uh, in business and politics with his brother. His brother focused on the Democrats. Pap Tom Pappas focused on the Republicans. And from, I think it was 1944 was the first Republican convention he went to. In 1948, he met 
a young Congressman Richard Nixon uh, at the Republican convention, and they bonded together with sharing stories about their fathers both having had grocery stores. He became a close friend, at least a fundraiser, more than close friend, uh, for Richard Nixon over the years. Uh, when Eisenhower questioned of dropping him from the ticket uh, in 1956, Pappas took a lead in making sure that Eisenhower kept him on the ticket uh, and was a strong backer in 1960. In, in, 19, in the 1960s, the Greek economy was booming, uh, and he wanted to get involved uh, in expanding his import-export food business to get involved in, in economic development in Greece. He had friends, a friend who was also a... Republican Party stalwart uh, with Esso, and Esso had been blocked out of a lot of the economic development, and they thought that Pappas, because of his connections in Greece, could help get them into Greece, and in exchange for Pappas making the right payments and making the right connections and getting Esso in, it was the first time that Esso ever had a joint venture with a named individual, so the uh, oil company development in Greece was known as Esso Pappas. Hmm. It's the first time that an individual received equal billing uh, with Esso. But Pappas uh, struck all kinds of deals uh, with the Greek government to, to get Esso in and establish his power base. And then when the Papandreou government came in in the mid-60s, they thought it was a colonial contract unfair to Greece, and they renegotiated you know, the terms. That upset Pappas, and Pappas... Uh, allied himself with some of the forces that wanted to, who were behind the Greek junta, uh, and was a stalwart for the Greek junta. In the mid-1960s, when the junta took over in 1967, uh, he was there and was on a first-name basis with the colonels. The colonels are the strongmen who uh, were running Greece till right. the 70s, and Elias, our hero of the story, our main thrust, is constantly trying to seek uh, freedom for the Greek people and so forth uh, through his writing and his connections. Let's get to the uh, the connection to Watergate. And of course, Spiro Agnew was the first ever Greek-American, uh, not only candidate, but vice president. And he, as we all know, ended up being a bag man and had some issues and <laughs> resigned. But there's an earlier connection that uh, you explore that uh, Elias uncovered. Talk about that. Uh, when Elias escaped in 67, uh, one of the first people, he had met uh, Agnew through Louise Gore at the, uh, at the Fairfax Hotel where Elias uh, was living after he escaped. Uh, and when, when Elias came to this country after he escaped in 67, Elias went to Agnew at the governor's mansion and asked him uh, for support for the resistance against the junta. Uh, and Agnew said that he wouldn't be supportive of the resistance, but he would be neutral. And later, in 1968, when Agnew became Nixon's vice president, Elias was puzzled uh, because he was hearing stories about the junta involved in certain monies coming to the Nixon campaign, and he was trying to pin things down. Uh, and Agnew confirmed uh, in a meeting with Louise Gore that after he had become the nominee that he would be neutral, but then... When Elias was sitting at the National Press Club with Louise Gore uh, in September of 1968, Agnew came out with a statement full four square behind the Greek junta. And Elias was upset, and he tracked down the information and found out that the Greek CIA 
was providing what is in today close to $4 million, uh, $4 million in today's dollars, uh, to the Nixon campaign. And the conduit for that uh, was Tom Pappas. Agnew was involved in some aspects of some Greek money, but the real conduit for the CIA, the, the Greek CIA money to the Nixon campaign was Tom Pappas. But it was Agnew's 180 switch that triggered uh, Elias to investigate, and then he found that Tom Pappas uh, being the bag man in 68 for that money. And just tell us in very short a recap, how this was uncovered. I know you uncovered the details uh, galore, but what the Watergate committee learned about thanks to Elias, if anything, at the time? Well, the, the Watergate committee uh, did, didn't discover this part. The Watergate committee, in fact, one of the problems with the Watergate investigation, and the book goes into this uh, in some detail, uh, is that people wanted to investigate Pappas for what happened in 68, but Papa successfully got uh, members of the committee and the staff to restrict his activities to fundraising for Nixon in 1972 related to Watergate, and they closed out this whole effort and the discussions of 1968. So here you are with this Greek connection, and you're shedding the light on this story that for a long time was buried. Exactly. I mean, this, there were a variety of people that were dealing with the, the 1968 uh, story. Uh, in fact, Christopher Hitchens, uh, your friend, uh, wrote uh, extensively about this. Uh, and there's several, and Cy Hirsch uh, followed up on some of Elias's uh, tips uh, and documented uh, in more detail some of the material that Elias had originally uncovered. On the cover of the book, there's a picture of Elias with Henry Kissinger, who's still with us on the planet. Um, I assume you didn't get any interviews with Kissinger, or am I wrong about that? Uh, I, I did not interview Kissinger. I sent him uh, a letter indicating I would like to talk to him, and I never heard back. Hmm. Uh, Kissinger plays an interesting role uh, in Elias's life at different stages, because in 1956, I think it was, uh, Elias uh, was told by certain of the Greek CIA and certain other military contacts and all, that this fellow who was working for the Rockefeller Foundation was coming to Greece. Uh, and he had done a lot of work on nuclear arms issues. And his name was Henry Kissinger. And they said, he's not famous now, but he could become something. Uh, take him to lunch and talk to him, get to know him. And so Elias took him out. To, to lunch, but Kissinger, instead of coming alone, brought his wife and two kids to lunch. And Elias said it wasn't something that led itself to a serious discussion of nuclear arms. And anyway, he had difficulty understanding his heavy German accent. <laughs> As we all did for a time, I think that's the case. Before we, before we continue, uh, let's talk about the man himself. He was a man of style, dressed elegantly. You mentioned his apartment would have been uh, a, looked like a disaster zone with paper everywhere, but he was a very slick, smooth, sophisticated, I guess you would say, and very, very close with the ladies. Absolutely. Uh, he, he, was, he, he dated omnivorously. He was very much the ladies' man from uh, his, his childhood uh, to his, his middle age, his activities in Washington. He was frequently the, the desired extra man for Washington dinner parties. 
So all the while, James, all the while that he's writing these pieces and getting in trouble, uh, whether he knew it or not, by CIA, FBI, and all kinds of intelligence services and the Greek junta, all this time he's flitting around the world and having fancy lunches and taking beautiful women out, uh, really a James Bond-style lifestyle. It's remarkable. Uh, and the, the interesting thing is the, the number of women I, I track down. First, the FBI and CIA and others uh, intentionally went after his connection, his female connections, even going after his ex-wife, thinking that she might be mad at him uh, and that they, they could use them as sources for negative information. But one afternoon after another, they all strongly stood by him, never betrayed him, never betrayed any pillow talk that he may have you know, shared. Uh, uh, his women were loyal to him. And they were a remarkable group of women. I would say my takeaway from this is, as a fan of, of American history and world history, and I love reading deep dives, and people I've never really heard about much. There's something interesting about that. Is that a pursuit of yours that you find very fulfilling? I would imagine it is. Oh, a- a- absolutely. I mean, I, years ago, uh, I did a law review article uh, on the origins of the right of privacy, uh, looking at the, the law review article that was written by Warren and, and Brandeis, uh, Louis Brandeis, uh, on that, that laid out the development of the whole tort of privacy. Uh, and I was fascinated uh, with the history. At that point, I was working as director of the Legislative Commission on Privacy. Uh, and what I did in doing a deep dive uh, into that, realized how flimsy the historic origins were uh, and how much Uh, how thin the thread was on which we based the whole right of privacy. Uh, And it became a very controversial but interesting law review article that's still cited today. Uh, So, yes, I I like getting into certain matters and doing deep dives of things that are uh, not commonly known. What I also enjoyed about the book, The Greek Connection, Jim, is the fact that you highlight an intrepid journalist who worked hard for the cause of freedom and took a lot of risks in doing so. I mean, part of his problem was, was uh, that he would, he was a scooper. He was proud to be a scooper. Uh, this part of the George Polk image of getting stories that others didn't have that he wanted to have. And he had access, he, was, he had a marvelous ability to get people to leak to him. And then he would publish uh, sections or complete government documents, whether it be Greek documents or American government documents. And he made himself persona non grata to both governments because of doing that. Well, it's a fascinating story, uh, a big, thick, fun book to read. Take your time with it. There are a lot of references. I'll tell you what it does do. It makes me want to visit Greece. <laughs> please, please do. I, I'm thinking of doing a map of Athens, uh, marking out the, uh, an Elias tour of Athens. I think that's a love. You could lead that. Absolutely. That's a great idea. And again, uh, there are a lot of folks listening to this all over the world. Uh, many of whom have Greek uh, background, and this is a, an opportunity to learn a lot about Greek culture and about the Greek governments and how they've evolved. It's called The Greek Connection, The Life of Elias, the Metropolis, and the Untold Story of Watergate by James H. Barron. Jim, really nice to get to know you and really nice to share this amazing story. My pleasure. Thank you, George. Thanks again to James Barron. Jim is a fine journalist and a terrific writer with a magnificent new book, The Greek Connection, The Life of Elias Dimitrakopoulos, and The Untold Story of Watergate. For all kinds of great information, visit the website, thegreekconnectionbook.com. 
And you can connect with me on my site, jordanrich.com, anytime. We certainly invite you to do so. Thank you for subscribing and downloading to the podcast. We're growing in numbers every single week, and I certainly appreciate it. This is Jordan. Until next time, saying, as always, be well so you can do good. Take care.